0: Part Two, Chapter Five of The Merry Go Round. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T. R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Merry Go Round by W. Somerset Mom Part Two, Chapter Five. In his distress, Basil could scarcely bear the thought of resuming his old life at Barnes, so unprofitable to the spirit, mean and illiberal, and though ill able to afford it, pretexting Jenny's health, he insisted that she should remain longer at Brighton than was at first intended. But at length she was evidently quite well, and no persuasions of Basil could induce her to prolong her visit. They returned to the little house in river gardens, and outwardly things went very much as in the past. Yet certain differences there were. They seemed more strange to one another after the temporary separation, and on each side trifles arose occasionally to embitter their relations. Basil observed his wife now in a more critical spirit and certain little vulgarities which before had escaped him now set his teeth on edge he thought that the company of her sister for two months had affected her somewhat badly she used expressions which he found objectionable and he could not help it if her manners at table offended his fastidious taste he loathed the slovenly way in which she conducted her household affairs and the carelessness of her dress though what she bought was ever in outrageous taste. Indoors she took no pains to be even tidy and spent most of the day in a dirty dressing gown with bedraggled hair. But since alteration seemed impossible, Basil determined rather to ignore things, leading his own life apart and allowing Jenny to lead hers. When she did anything of which he disapproved, He merely shrugged his shoulders and pursed his lips. He grew much more silent and did not now attempt to discuss with her matters wherein he was aware she took no interest. But he had reckoned without his wife's passionate affection, no less than when first they married. Realizing the change in him, of which the causes to her were quite incomprehensible, Jenny was profoundly disturbed sometimes she wept helplessly wondering what she had done to lose his love and at others conscious of his injustice broke irritably into sharp speeches she resented his reserve and the indifference with which he put aside her questions on topics which before he would have eagerly discussed brooding over all this she concluded that only a woman could have wrought this difference and remembered on a sudden her mother's advice to keep a sharp eye on him. Basil one morning told her that he was dining out that day. He had accepted the invitation before he knew she would be back. "'Who with?' asked Jenny, quickly suspicious. "'Mrs. Murray.' "'Your lady friend who came down here to see you last year?' "'She came to see you,' replied Basil, smiling." yes i believe that i don't think a married man ought to go dining in the west end by himself i'm sorry i've accepted the invitation i must go jenny did not answer but when basil came home in the afternoon watched him she saw how restless he was his eyes shone with excitement and he looked at his watch a dozen times to see if it were time to dress the moment he was gone determined to find out on what terms he was with mrs murray and hindered by no scruple she went to the pockets of the coat he had just taken off but his pocketbook was not there a little surprised for he was careless about such things she thought there might be a letter in the desk and with beating heart went to it but it was locked and this unaccustomed precaution doubled her suspicions Remembering that there was a duplicate key, she fetched it, and on opening the drawer at once came upon a note signed Hilda Murray. It began with, "Dear Mr. Kent," and ended, "Yours sincerely, a mere formal invitation to dinner." Jenny glanced through the other letters, but they related to business matters. She replaced them in the old order and locked the drawer. "'She felt sick with shame now that she had actually done this thing. "'Oh, how he'd despise me!' she cried. "'And in terror, lest she had left any trace of her interference, "'she opened the drawer again and once more smoothed out and tidied everything. "'Basil had asked her not to wait up for him, but she could not go to bed. "'She looked at the clock, ticking so slowly and with something like rage.' told herself that basil all this time enjoyed himself and never thought of her when he came home flushed and animated she fancied that a look of annoyance crossed his face when he saw her still sitting in the armchair. are you very sleepy he asked yes why don't you go to bed i'm just going to have one more pipe i'll wait till you're ready she watched him walk up and down the room, excited with his thoughts, and he never spoke to her. He seemed to have forgotten that she was present. Then rage and jealousy overcame all other feelings. Oh, right, my young fellow,' she whispered to herself. "'I'll find out if there's anything in this.' She had taken note of Mrs. Murray's writing, and thenceforward examined closely the addresses of all letters that came for him, to see if one was written by her. Basil had been used to leave his correspondence lying about, but now took care to lock up everything, and this convinced her that he had something to conceal. But she flattered herself, with a little bitter laugh, that she was fairly sharp, and he did not know that every day after he went out she ransacked his desk. Though she never found anything, Jenny was nonetheless assured that there were good grounds for her jealousy. One morning she noticed that he was dressed in new clothes, and it flashed across her mind that in the afternoon he meant to see Mrs. Murray. It seemed to her that if he actually went, it would be a confirmation of her fears, while, if not, she could put aside all these tormenting fancies. Knowing at what time he left Chambers, Jenny, veiled and dressed soberly that she might not attract his attention, took up her stand in good time on the other side of the square and waited. Presently he came out and she followed. She followed him sauntering down the Strand. She followed him to Piccadilly Circus and here was obliged to come a little closer for fear of losing him in the throng. On a sudden, he wheeled round and quickly strode up to her. She gave a stifled cry, and then, seeing his face white with rage, was overwhelmed with shame. How dare you follow me, Jenny? I wasn't following you. I didn't see you. He called a cab and told her to get in, jumped up, and bade the driver go to Waterloo. They were just in time to catch a train to Barnes. He did not speak to her, and she watched him in frightened silence. He said no word during the walk back to the house. They went to the drawing-room, and he closed the door carefully. "'Now, will you have the goodness to tell me what you mean by this?' he asked. She gave no answer, but looked down in sullen anger. "'Well?' "'I won't be bullied,' she said. "'Look here, Jenny.' We had better understand one another. Why have you been going to my drawer and reading my letters? You've got no right to accuse me of that. It's not true. You leave my desk in such disorder when you've been to it. Well, I've got a right to know. Where were you going today? That is absolutely no business of yours. I'm simply ashamed that you should do such horrible things. Don't you know that nothing is so disgraceful as to follow anyone in the street, and I'd sooner you stole than read private letters? I'm not going to stand by and let you run after other women, so you needn't think I am. He gave a laugh, partly of scorn, partly of disgust. Don't be absurd. We're married, and we must make the best of it. You may be quite sure that I'll give you no cause for reproach. You're always after your fine friends that I'm not good enough for. Good heavens, he cried bitterly, you can't grudge me a little relaxation. It surely does you no harm if sometimes I go and see the people I knew intimately before my marriage. Jenny did not answer, but pretended to order anew, flowers in a vase. Then she smoothed down cushions on the sofa and set a picture straight. "'If you've done preaching at me, I'll go and take off my hat,' she said at length viciously. "'You may do exactly as you choose,' he answered with cold indifference. Shortly after this, Basil's novel was published. Knowing that it could not interest her, and conscious of her small sympathy, he gave a copy to Jenny somewhat shyly, but said no more than the truth when he wrote to Mrs. Murray that great part of his pleasure in the book's appearance lay in the fact that he was able to send it to her. He waited for her letter of thanks with as much anxiety as for the first reviews. She wrote twice, first to acknowledge the receipt and say that she had already read a chapter, then, having finished, to bestow enthusiastic praise. Her appreciation lifted him to a very heaven of delight. When Jenny, after an obvious struggle, reached the last page, he waited for some criticism, but since none came, was forced to ask what she thought. I liked it very much, she said. But there was in her tone an unconcern which not a little incensed him, and though he knew this indifference pointed to no particular fault in his book, he was nonetheless profoundly humiliated yet a bitterer disappointment awaited him in the reviews which now began to come in for the most part they were short somewhat scornful somewhat patronizing and appeared that this book which he had imagined would rise him at once to a literary position of some eminence was no more than prentice work showing more promise than performance its merits indeed were not few but scarcely such as to excite any sudden admiration his construction was faulty and in parts his attention to the environment suggested rather the essay or the treatise the result notwithstanding many qualities was neither very good romance nor very good history two literary papers at length offered solve to his wounded vanity in long and appreciative notices doing full justice to his passion for beauty his measured and careful style the clear-cut perfection of his portraits the first of these was sent to him with a note of congratulation by mrs murray and he read it with leaping heart it gave him new confidence and a firmer resolution to do better in future but though careful to hand over to jenny all unfavourable criticisms these which from a literary standpoint were more important than all the others put together with a kind of inverted pride he forbode to show the consequence of this was that jenny gained a rather false impression of the book's failure and the idea came that basil after all was perhaps not such a wonderful person as once she fancied she sought not to analyze her feelings but had she done so would have found in them a strange medley. She adored Basil passionately, jealously, but at the same time felt against him a sort of confused irritation which made her welcome the published sneers that wounded him so keenly. They seemed to draw him down to her, for if he was less clever than at first she thought, it lessened the distance between them yet the gulf which separated them grew daily greater and quarrels were of more frequent occurrence basil hating his life at barnes wrapped himself in a reserve which he strove to make impenetrable he was very silent going about his work methodically and doing his best to avoid the acrimonious discussions which jenny forced upon him He tried to relieve his unhappiness with unceasing toil, and to counter his wife's ill-temper with philosophic indifference. It drove her to furious anger that, however she taunted, he seldom replied, and then only with cold sarcasm. But sometimes remorse seized her. Then she went to her husband in tears, begging him to forgive, and asserting again her great love— and this for some days would be followed by a measure of peace but one morning a more serious quarrel arose for basil somewhat pressed for money had discovered that james bush still out of work was steadily borrowing from jenny he had begged her not to lend any more and finding her unwilling to give a promise was obliged somewhat peremptorily to insist that not another penny should go into the grasping hands of the Bush family. On both sides there was a good deal of irritation, and finally Basil flung out of the house. Presently, James Bush, cause of all the trouble, sauntered in. "'Where's his lordship this afternoon?' he asked, helping himself to Basil's cigarettes. "'He's gone for a walk.' "'That's what he tells you, my dear.' he answered with a malevolent laugh have you seen him anywhere asked jenny quickly full of suspicion no i can't say i have and if i had i wouldn't boast about it what did you mean then she insisted well whenever i come up here he's out for a walk he glanced at her and then without more ado asked for a loan of a couple of sovereigns but jenny mindful of the morning's dispute and regretfully conscious that herself had brought it about firmly refused since he insisted accusing her of meanness she was forced to explain how heavy of late had been their expenses the doctor had sent a bill for fifty pounds the visit to brighton cost a great deal and they would have much difficulty to make both ends meet it was a wonderful fine thing you did when you married him Jenny. "'and you thought you'd done precious well for yourself, too.' "'I won't have you say anything against him,' she cried impetuously. "'All right, keep your shirt in. "'I'm blowed if I know what you've got to stick up for him about. "'He don't care much about you.' "'She looked up with a quick drawing in of breath. "'How'd you know?' "'Think I can't see?' he chuckled slyly at his own acuteness. "'I suppose you haven't been crying today.' "'We had a little tiff this morning,' she answered. "'Oh, don't say he doesn't care for me. I couldn't live.' "'Go along with you,' he laughed. "'Basil Kent ain't the only pebble on the beach.' Jenny went to the window and looked out. She saw her husband walk slowly along, his head bent down, betraying in his whole appearance the most profound depression, and thinking of their wretchedness, she could not restrain her tears." Everything went against them, and though loving him so tenderly, some mysterious power seemed ever to force her to anger him. With entire despair she turned to her brother and spoke words which had long been in her heart, but which till then she had not uttered to a living soul. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, sometimes I don't know which way to turn. I'm that unhappy. If the baby had only lived, I might have kept my husband. I might have made him love me. She sank on a chair and hid her face, but in a moment, hearing the door close, looked up. He's just come in, Jimmy. Mind you, don't say anything to put him out. I'd just like to give him a piece of my mind. Oh, Jimmy, don't. It was my fault that we quarreled this morning. I wanted to make him angry, and I nagged at him. "'She knew the best way to influence her brother. "'Don't let him see that I've said anything to you, "'and I'll try and send you a pound tomorrow.' "'Well, he'd better not start patronizing me, "'because I won't put up with it. "'I'm a gentleman, and every bit as good as he is, "'if not better.' "'At this, Basil came in, "'noticed James, but did not speak. "'Afternoon, Basil.' "'You here again?' he remarked indifferently. "'Looks like it, don't it? "'I'm afraid it does. "'Are you? "'I suppose I can come and see my own sister. "'I suppose it's inevitable. "'Only I should be excessively grateful "'if you'd time your coming with my going, "'and vice versa. "'That means you want me to get out, I reckon. "'You show unusual perspicacity, dear James,' "'said Basil with a frigid smile. "'Look here, Basil.' Let me give you a bit of advice. Don't put on quite so much side, or you'll hurt yourself. I observe that you have not acquired the useful art of being uncivil without being impertinent. There was nothing James could brook less easily than the irony and the deliberate sarcasm with which Basil invariably answered him. And now, in his exasperation, forgetting all prudence, he jumped up. Look here! I've had about enough of this. I'm not going to stand you sneering and snarling at me when I come here. You seem to think I'm nobody. I should just like to know why you go on as if I was. I don't know what. Because I choose, answered Basil, looking him up and down with a chilling scorn jenny's heart beat furiously as she foresaw the approaching quarrel and in an undertone hurriedly she begged james to hold his tongue but he would not be restrained you can bet anything you like i don't come here to see you it has been borne upon me that the length of my purse attracts you more than the charm of my conversation i wonder why you imagined because i married your sister I was bound to support the whole gang of you for the rest of your lives. Would you have the intense amiability to inform your family that I'm sick and tired of giving money? I wonder you don't forbid us your house while you're about it, snarled James. Basil shrugged his shoulders. You may come here when I'm not at home, if you behave yourself. I'm not good enough for you, I suppose. No, you're not, answered Basil with deliberation. I dare say you'd like to get me out of the way, but I mean to keep my eye on you. What do you mean by that? asked Basil so sharply that James saw he had touched him on the raw. He pursued his advantage. You think I don't know what sort of fellow you are? I can just about see through two of you. Jenny has something to put up with, I lay. But Basil recovered himself quickly and turned to Jenny with a smile of contempt which, since it was undeserved, most deeply wounded her. Has she been telling you my numerous faults? You must have had plenty to talk about, my dear. He saw her motion of protest and gave a laugh. Oh, my dear girl, if it amuses you, by all means discuss me with your relations. I should be so dull if I had no failings. Tell him I've not said anything against him, Jimmy, she cried. It's not for want of something to say, I'll be bound. Basil was growing bored and saw no reason for concealing the fact. He sat down at his desk to write a letter and took a sheet of notepaper. Jimmy watched him viciously, smarting under the bitter things the other had said and wondering what the next move would be. Basil glanced at him indifferently. I'm getting rather tired, Brother James. I'd go if I were you. "'I shan't go till I choose,' answered Bush very aggressively. Basil looked up with a smile. "'Of course, we're both of us Christians, dear James, "'and there's a good deal of civilization "'kicking about the world nowadays. "'But the last word is still with the strongest.' "'What do you mean by that?' "'Merely that discretion is the better part of valor. "'They say that proverbs are the wealth of nations.' That's just the sort of thing you'd do, to hit a fellow smaller than yourself. Oh, I wouldn't hit you for the worlds, laughed Basil bitterly. I should merely throw you downstairs. I should just like to see you try it on, cried the other, edging a little towards the door. Don't be silly, James. You know you wouldn't like it at all. I'm not afraid of you. Of course not. But still, you're not very muscular, are you? Rage, driving away prudence, James shook his fist in Basil's face. "'Oh, I'll pay you out before I've done. I'll pay you out.' "'James, I told you to get out five minutes ago,' said Basil, in a more peremptory fashion. Jimmy looked at him for a moment, furious and impotent, then, without another word, flung out of the room, slamming the door behind him. Basil smiled quietly and shrugged his shoulders. He felt almost as disgusted with himself as with James, but supposed that as such scenes grew more frequent, he would acquire a certain callousness. In his self-contempt he told himself that without doubt the time would come when he would be proud of his triumph and repartee over an auctioneer's clerk. He glanced at Jenny, who sat with sewing in her hands, but without working, gazed straight out of the window. "'The only compensation in Brother James is that he causes a little mild amusement,' he murmured. "'I don't know what's wrong with him,' she answered. "'Why'd you treat him as if he was a dog?' "'My dear child, I don't. I'm very fond of dogs.' "'Isn't he as good as I am? And you condescended to marry me?' I really can't see that because I married you, I must necessarily take the whole of your amiable family to my bosom. Why don't you like them? They're honest and respectable. Basil gave a little sigh of fatigue. They had discussed the matter often during the last month, and though he did his best to curb his tongue, his patience was nearly exhausted. My dear Jenny, he said, We don't choose our friends because they're honest and respectable, any more than we choose them because they change their linen daily. But I'm willing to acknowledge that they have every grace and every virtue, only they rather bore me. They wouldn't if they were swells. He looked at her curiously, wondering why she imputed to him such despicable motives, and reflected that he could have been very good friends with his wife's relations if they had been simple country folk, unassuming and honest. But the family of Bush joined the most vulgar pretentiousness to a code of honor which could only in charity be called eccentric. Jenny brooded over his words, and after a silence of some minutes, burst out impatiently. After all, we're not in such a bad position as all that, "'My mother's father was a gentleman.' "'I wish your mother's son were,' answered Basil, "'without looking up from the letter he wrote. "'Do you know what Jimmy says you are?' "'I don't vastly care, "'but if it pleases you very much, you may tell me.' "'She shot at him an angry glance, but did not answer. "'Then Basil got up, and going to her, "'placed his hands on her shoulders, "'making his tone very gentle he explained that it was really not his fault if he did not care for her people could she not resign herself to the fact and make the best of it surely it would be better than to make themselves miserable but jenny refusing the offer of reconciliation turned away you don't think they're good enough for you to associate with because they're not in swell positions i don't in the least object to their being grocers and haberdashers he answered with a flush of annoyance i only wish they'd sell us things at cost price jimmy isn't a grocer or a haberdasher he's an auctioneer's clerk i humbly apologized i thought he was a grocer because last time he did us the honor of calling he asked how much a pound we paid for our tea and offered to sell us some at the same price but then he also offered to insure our house against fire and to sell me a gold mine in australia well it's better to make a bit as best one can than to moon round like you do really even to please you i'm afraid i can't go about with little samples of tea in my pocket and sell my friends a pound or two when i call upon them besides i don't believe they'd ever pay me oh no cried jenny scornfully you're a gentleman and a barrister and an author "'and you couldn't do anything to dirty those white hands that you're so proud about. "'How do other fellows manage to get briefs? "'The simplest way, I believe, is to marry the wily solicitor's daughter.' "'Instead of a barmaid?' "'I didn't say that, Jenny,' he answered very gravely. "'Oh, no, you didn't say it, but you hinted it. "'You never say anything, but you're always hinting and insinuating "'till you drive me out of my senses.' He held out his hands. I'm very sorry if I hurt your feelings. I promise you I don't mean to. I always try to be kind to you. He looked at her wistfully, expecting some word of regret or affection. But sullenly, with tight-closed lips, she cast down her eyes and went on with her sewing. With darkened brows, he returned to his letters, and for an hour they remained silent. Then Jenny unable any longer to bear that utter stillness which seemed more marked because he sat so near, hostile and unapproachable, went out to sit in her own room. Her anger was past, and she was frightened at herself. She wanted to think the matter out, and with despair remembered that there was none to whom she could go for advice. It would be impossible to make her own folk understand these difficulties, and instead of help they would give only flouts and cruel jibes. It crossed her mind to go to Frank, the only friend of Basil whom she knew with any intimacy. for he came not infrequently to Barnes, and his manner, always so kind and gentle, made her think that she could trust him. But what should he care for her misery, and what assistance could he offer? She knew well enough the expressions of helpless sympathy he could use it seemed that she stood quite alone in the world weak and without courage separated at once from those among whom her life had been spent and from those into whose class her marriage had brought her with throbbing brain like a puppet driven round endlessly in a circle of pain she could not see an end to her troubles but the very confusion the terror and uncertainty of it forced her to make some desperate attempt and she sought within herself for strength to gain the happiness she so woefully desired. She pondered over the events of the last year, picturing distinctly each passing scene, and saw the gradual bitterness that darkened the bliss of the beginning. Then she told herself that some great effort was needed, or it would be too late. She was losing her husband's love, and in bitter self-reproach, "'took all the blame, therefore, upon her own shoulders. "'The only chance now was to change herself completely. "'She must try to be exacting, less insanely jealous. "'She must at least attempt to be more worthy of him. "'In an agony of repentance, she reviewed all her faults. "'At last, with flushed cheeks and eyes shining with tears, "'she went to Basil and laid her hand on his shoulder.' Basil, I've come to beg your pardon for what I said just now. I was carried away and forgot myself. There was a gentleness in her voice which he had almost forgotten. He stood up, taking her hands and smiling brightly. My girl, what does it matter? I'd forgotten all about it. I've been thinking it all over. We haven't been getting on very well of late, and I'm afraid I've been to blame. I did things I regret. I've been reading your letters, she blushed deeply with intense shame, but I swear I won't do it any more. I will try to be a good wife to you. I know I'm not your equal, but I want to try to get up to you, and you must be patient with me. You must remember I've got a lot to learn. Oh, Jenny, don't talk like that. You make me feel like such a cad. She smiled through her tears he spoke in just the same eager tone which in time past had so charmed her but then a wistful look came to her face you do love me still a little basil don't you my darling you know i do he took her in his arms and kissed her she burst into tears but they were tears of joy for she thought poor thing that there ended their troubles the future would be brighter and quite different. End of Chapter 5